Hello everyone, you listen to J Movie Talk episode 147 as I'll be talking gross point blank. Look, I bottomed out here. I've lost my taste for it completely. That's why I came back and I wanted to see you. You know, I wanted to start over, leave that behind. Oh, so I'm part of I'm part of your romantic new beginning, right? How come you never learned that it was wrong? That there are certain things you do not do. You do not do in a civilized society. Yeah, what civilizations are we talking about? Oh, shut up. I mean, history. Shut up. Everything about you is a lie. Everything. Stay away from me. Debbie, don't go. You don't get to have me. Don't you get it? Hey, how's it going, everyone? I am back for episode 147. Um, this is actually take two of 147 since uh, I tried. I actually recorded it um, and went all the way through. And then when I was finished, I realized that the audio for the first recording was completely garbage. So here I am recording this episode again, uh, which I really don't like doing a lot of times. But I wouldn't have felt good uploading that recording um because of how distorted it sounded and i'm i mean in the past when i first started podcasting sometimes i would upload episodes because i didn't want to go back and redo them but i think i've gotten to the point now where i want to put out the best quality of a podcast that i possibly can so like i said i wouldn't have felt good with after listening back to that recording and uploaded it for the listeners to hear so um getting that out of the way um getting back into well getting back um yeah um starting off talking about this uh movie gross point blank which came out in 1997 um it was directed by george armitage um who only directed seven films actually uh which is kind of funny and this was actually his second to last movie that he did um his very first film was a movie called what was it called a uh, private duty nurses back in 1971 then he followed that with uh some movie called hitman in 1972 uh vigilante force came in 1976 uh did a tv movie called hot rod in 79 then he disappears for like a decade um and then he comes back in 1990 with miami blues gross point blank movie i'm going to be talking about here in 97 and his last film that he directed was the big bounce which came out in 2004 now of the seven films that he's directed i've only seen two um this one of course and miami blues with alec baldwin which is a crazy movie kind of weird quirky movie where with um with alec baldwin or whatnot um but yeah i don't really know too too much about uh george armitage and like i say he he had a interesting career i guess and he did he just he bowed out he disappeared um and everything but so getting back to talking about this film uh gross point blank so the synopsis for this movie is that of martin blank is a is a professional assassin he is sent on a mission to a small detroit suburb gross point and by coincidence his 10-year high school reunion party is taking place there at the same time um so that's pretty much the driving force behind uh the movie is that martin is going to be he has an he has a job that he's doing back in his hometown 
also at the same time that his high school reunion party is going down. Um, and the cast for this movie, we have John Cusack as Martin Blank, Manny Driver as Debbie Newberry, Alan Arkin as Dr. Oatman, Dan Aykroyd as Grocer, Joan Cusack as Marcella, Hank Azarian as Steve Lautner, K. Todd Freeman as Kenneth McCullers, Jeremy Piven as Paul Spurnicki, Spurnick, Spurnicki, I guess, um, Mitchell Ryan as Mr. Bart Newberry, Michael Cutlitz as Bob DiStepolo. Um Yeah, so that's pretty much your main uh, cast of characters here that featured in this film. Um, so the movie opens with Martin. Um, he's on, he's doing a job and he, he's across the street from this hotel and he's getting a sniper rifle and silencer and everything all set up. And at the same time, he's talking to his secretary, Joan Cusack, um, Marcel, I should say, played by Joan Cusack. And as he's doing all of this and she brings up about his high school reunion, which clearly kind of unnerves him to some degree, um, and everything. And he basically like brushes off like, uh, okay, I'm getting ready here. So as he's about to shoot the target, which is across the street with his security team, he notices that there's a guy on a bicycle coming down the street and he knows that the guy pulls out a gun. So instead of shooting his target first, he shoots the guy with the bike and this kind of gives the heads up to the security team. So they take out, then they start shooting the hell out of this guy too. And meanwhile, while that's going on, um, we see where, uh, Dan Aykroyd, uh, character grocer he comes up from behind them wearing a bellhop uniform and he takes out two guns and he shoots the hell out of the security team and the, the target that martin was going to kill which clearly pisses martin off so after that whole thing happens um martin is in his car driving and he want he has marcel online it's like i have mr grocer on the line for you it's like, oh really and so and everything so they decide to meet up um on the side of the road somewhere and they have this conversation about the fact that Grocer wants Martin to join his like Hitman Justice League, Hitman, you know, Union Goon Squad or whatnot. And Martin's like, you know, I work alone or whatnot. That's not my type of deal. So this kind of pisses Grocer off. But instead of really pressing the issue, Grocer, he gets back in his car and like speeds off and everything. And we think, oh, that's not going to be, you know, no more is going to come from that type of thing. At least that's what Martin probably thinking. Um, one of the things about this movie that I really noticed too, is that Martin seems to be having somewhat of a early midlife crisis throughout the movie. Um, and I think it has to do a lot of with his leaving town, leaving his hometown the way he did, um, or whatnot. And also too, we kind of get throughout the movie, like little things that maybe he didn't have like the greatest home life. There was something always off. Um, we see his mother later for one scene, she's in a, in a nursing home and she clearly has like some issues or whatnot. His dad passed away in 1989, which my always understanding that if the movie took place in 97 and it's supposed to be his 10 year high school reunion that he should have left in 87, which means his dad had passed away by the time he was gone. So he never really got to say goodbye to his dad. What was the relationship between him and his dad? Did his dad possibly is the cause for him to leave? So we, we never get those questions like answered, but we could tell that whatever is truly bothering Martin and what drove him to 
this you know his um his career choice um it stemmed from that but we never really got too too much of why exactly he left or whatnot so um just want to talk about real quick um this is the first time that john and joan cusack together have been in a movie and they had scenes together now they did appear in 16 candles but they didn't have any scenes together or whatnot um and i did like the fact that this movie to some degree pays a little homage tribute to to her character to joan cusack's character in 16 candles where she's the girl on the bicycle um or is it pretty in pink i always get it confused they goddamn john hughes in, in his movies they was always too much the same especially pretty in pink and 16 candles is the movie i'm thinking of even though it, sometimes i do get pretty in pink and and 16 candles confused or whatnot because they are very similar or whatnot and because molly ringwall is the star but um the character that she plays in 16 candles um she wears a neck brace because she was in a freaking bicycle accident where she flipped over the hood of a car and this movie pays a little tribute to that with um at the high school reunion where jenna elfman uh makes a cameo appearance and she has this this neck brace similar to what joan cusack had in um 16 candles but uh i did like the little dynamic that the two of them had here and i would say this is like the movie where you really notice like they are brother and sister because they do look alike especially in the scenes that they have together and they even dress somewhat similar to each other and the fact that his name is martin and her name is marcella um so i always kind of found that was interesting even though the characters are not supposed to be related but they have similar uh names and everything um or whatnot but like i said i did like their dynamic um together on um, the few scenes that they do have together in this movie um so um marcella basically talks martin into going back home not because of the high school reunion so much but because he has a job um he has a contract that's presented to him and it just so happens that it's in his hometown of gross point um and everything so he reluctantly takes this uh dossier and decides to go back to his hometown and everything he's not happy about it clearly we notice um and everything like that and this is where we kind of start to see like the little quirks and things of his character that really come into play even though he's supposed to be this you know trained assassin but he has like these quirks about him that's very interesting and i always felt like the movie in bruges um with uh colin farrell to some degree it borrows from that because his character has like a few nuances and takes or whatnot that you wouldn't think that a trained killer would have so i always said that oh they kind of you know they kind of i want to say they ripped off what, what pay homage to at least in that movie about this movie so um grocer um he gets upset at he's upset at the fact that martin didn't join his uh hitman justice league and he basically is also upset too that martin has stole the the uh, gross point job from him so he basically is a snitch and snitches to the fbi and says like hey this is where he's gonna be this is who he's gonna kill you go there you get him and basically to get him out of the way type of thing so that's where we get uh hank azaria and k todd freeman uh characters of uh, mccullers and laudner 
um they basically come to town and they're like tailing um martin the whole time and if they and very bad at it as well because clearly they're following him he notices that they're following him and it's like y'all are the worst fbi agents i've ever seen of as far as tailing somebody because you're telling him in the clear open and everything and he notices it too so um like i say martin he goes back to town and he you know he he rides around he passes by the radio station where debbie works his former uh high school love and everything and he sits there for a second she looks out the window she kind of notices you know this guy looking at her and she i think she realizes that it's him and he quickly drives away and she has this look on her face like like oh my god he's back you know type of thing but she doesn't she tries not to like really you know play into it but just the facial expression that debbie makes is like oh my god he's back he's probably gonna come say say something to me or maybe he'll try to avoid me i don't know type of thing um so after that we get where um martin he kind of you know he goes around the town and everything he goes back to his old high school he runs into an old teacher and they have a conversation after they're done he's like well i'm going back home and the teacher she gives him this look like are you now and he's like yeah and he leaves so he goes driving by where he used to live and he has this look on his face like what the hell and where his house used to be is a convenience store and not just any convenience store it's the ultra convenience store oh um, that's the name of the store by the way and he goes inside and he looks at the clerk and he's like what the hell are you doing here he's like i just i work here and everything and martin is like freaked out about this place or whatnot and it's funny because this is this is where his house used to be but when he comes back to home comes back to town 10 years later that it's gone and now it's a freaking convenience store and you can tell he's like bothered by this and it's funny that you know there's two scenes that take place in this and like i said that was the first one then the second time martin goes back to the convenience store he gets in a, a shootout with um with felix the hired goon that's there like one of the guys that's sent there to kill him and everything and in the process of that uh the convenience store ends up getting blowed up martin has to run out of he saved the uh the clerk and everything the clerk gets pissed because like man i gotta find a new job now and everything like this it's like that's that's your main concern of the fact that you gotta find not the fact that you could have literally been killed and this guy saved you but but at the fact that oh i gotta find a new job now you type of thing that's how he says that he goes storming off and martin's like it's not me you know type of thing um i always thought that scene was kind of funny or whatnot so uh martin he goes back to the radio station and debbie you know has him come in and they kind of have like this awkward exchange and as they're talking debbie decides to put him on the air and they start having a conversation and everything and i guess because she's still harboring the feelings that she had about you know the hurt that he you know he gave her 10 years ago she kind of embarrasses him on the radio in a way i guess as, as a form of payback so he quickly gets out of there um but what's interesting about it he later on he does ask her out to uh dinner and everything which they would do but uh before we get to to that um as martin leaves he um that was the first time that he sees felix walking down the street when he notices that the feds are clearly watching him and everything and like i say felix walks past him and felix completely looks like he shouldn't be in town in this town at least and everything but martin just keeps walking and they just pass each other like as if it's nothing and as martin is walking he passes by paul played by jeremy piffin 
and Paul was his high, you know, his best friend from school. And it's it's funny too because of the fact that they are friends in real life. So who better than you know him to play his his uh, best friend in the movie and everything? And he's now a how um, a home salesman and everything and everything like that. And he's a uh, uh, so he's like, yeah, come on, take a ride with me. So they ride around, and as they ride, you know, Jeremy Piven and I would say Vince Vaughn are the only two guys who can basically uh, talk real fast and, you know, then get all animated but still be talking real fast then freak out and then, you know, kind of calm down but still be talking really fast or whatnot and without really taking a breath. And it's like, how the hell do they do that? And Piven does that here when he's talking to him and then he's like, it's been 10 years, man, 10 years I've seen you. It's like, what the hell happened to you? And Martin, he basically... He tells him really what what he did. It's like, I freaked out. I joined the army. I became a contract killer. That's what happened. And Paul is like, that completely goes over his head. Because even though he's telling him the truth, but he doesn't believe him. And that's kind of like a running joke throughout the movie, for most of the movie anyway, that he tells people what he really does, but no one takes it seriously. Because it's like, oh, he's just being funny. It's just a joke type of thing or whatnot. So they ride by uh, Debbie's old house and everything. And it's like, and, and it's a funny scene when they stopped there. He's like, you didn't think you would be here, did you? And he's like, well, you drove me here. It's like, why did you drive me here? It's everything like that. So, and then there's a scene where they go to one of the houses that Paul is showing and everything. And they, they run into one of the other old classmates that's a security guard. And they get into it. And the people basically, like, leave real quick because Martin and the other guy basically kind of freaked them out and everything. And Paul put in play. He's like, "You're not gonna go with another broker, are you?" And it's like, "No, no." It's like, "Oh, yeah." It's like, "Yeah, right." Or whatnot. And then they're like, "Yeah, I don't think they were really serious about buying this." So I was like, "Yeah, what, what gives you an authority?" It's like, "What are you doing?" It's like, "I'm, I'm showing the house here," and everything. So we spent a little time with them and everything like that. Um, so after that, that's when Martin he goes back and him and Debbie they. They go out to eat and everything to kind of catch up and everything. And while they're at the uh, restaurant and everything, this woman, she comes up completely drunk. And this is another one of um, John Cusack's sisters and Cusack. She's playing this character and she's completely drunk. She stumbles down into the booth and everything. And she's like, oh, it's good to see you, Marv. And everything like that. And it's like it's like Martin, but whatever. And and Debbie's like playing like, yeah, Marv, good to see you and everything. And it's funny when they leave the restaurant. Now, I, I said, I don't know if this was like from a scene that probably was cut or anything, but we see in the background as um, Ann Cusack, she stumbles out of this cab and she goes back into the diner. And Martin, he kind of looks over his shoulder like, what the hell type of thing. And I've always wondered, like, okay, she clearly was a part of their high school class and everything, but we never see her at the reunion. So it's like, did she even make it to the reunion? Like, did something happen to her? Because she was really drunk that night. So it's something that always kind of stuck with me or anything. But um, so um, just want to talk about Minnie Driver in this movie. She, I think she's good in this movie, actually. It, around this time, she you know, was kind of becoming like one of, I, I would say like one of the new rising stars in a way, as far as female actresses, because she was in this, she's also in Goodwill Hunting. And then she was also in hard rain with uh Kristen Slater. So 
like I said, in the span of like over a little over a year, really, she she does this movie with John Cusack, which is like an action comedy. Um, and then she does uh, Good Will Hunting, which is a drama with um, with Matt Damon. And it gets a lot of critical acclaim and everything like that. And then she does the disaster, disaster thriller, um, Hard Rain with Kristen Slater and Morgan Freeman. So around this time, she, you know, she's becoming like a, a name in a sense. And this character she plays of Debbie is very interesting. It, I don't think you see too many characters like this one in a movie. And she's played up to be like the female equivalent of Martin, just minus the whole uh, assassination. You know, she's she's not an assassin, you know, whatnot, but they do have similar curses. You can almost see like, oh, I can see why they were in a relationship together. But I thought she did a good job in this. She she she, she actually holds her own fairly well in this movie Um, from what she's given as a character. So um, going back to the feds real quick. So Martin, like I say, going back to the restaurant, actually, Martin knows that the feds are following him. He goes into the bathroom and who do he see in there is Laudner and McCullers. They're standing there and whatnot. And Martin, he just walks in, he washes his hand. And he's like, you know, um, I'm going, I'm taking Debbie home. I'm going to be back at my hotel. And so I meet you guys out front and say, uh, 15, 15. Is that good? All right. And so he leaves and they're standing there looking, looking stupid. And then grocer, he comes out of one of the stalls. He's like, that's him. Go ahead, get him, get him. It's like, we can't do anything to him until he commits a crime. And grocer, he gets kind of pissed about it because he's like, he wants Martin out of the way now type of thing. And everything it's like we are not assassins we are the fbi and everything like that but um it's just kind of weird that the the fbi like why are they hanging out in the freaking bathroom why they should have been at least at another booth or something but instead they're hanging out in the bathroom which is weird um which was always kind of a weird scene to me so um one thing that was kind of interesting about this movie is the scene where when Martin he goes to Debbie's house and he asks her to to go to the prom with him. well not to the prom but go to the high school reunion. But when he gets there, I guess she was listening to some Jamaican music or something because when she opens the door, she's like, "You can't come in." And the way she says it is funny, and for some reason that line always sticks with me. Um, whenever I watch this movie, and she seems very giddy that he's there. And it kind of got me to think, it's like, was Debbie ready to have sex with him, like, right then and there? Because when he comes, when she lets him in, when she do finally let him in, she runs to her bed and jumps on the bed, and she's laying there for him and everything. He walks over, and he's like, uh, so this is the bed, the infamous bed? And she's like, uh-huh. And everything. And it got me thinking, like, if, if Martin would have jumped on the bed or whatnot, would she would have been down, you know, like, to get it on right then and there and everything? But you thinking you know it's leading towards that but what actually ends up happening is that she wants to do airplane with him which is basically he lays on the bed with his feet up in the air she gets on top of his feet and basically he balances her up and everything she's like i'm flying and everything and martin he's like well what if your dad walks in she's like well you can give him an airplane too he's like yeah right type of thing and then it's like once she gets her satisfaction from this airplane whatnot she's like okay you can go now and everything and he's like really that's it she's like yeah that's it and everything and so she basically kicks him out and but she does agree to go to 
the uh, reunion with him. And I've always found this scene kind of funny because of how she's acting with him. And I think Martin, the character of Martin is even thinking like, yeah, that's kind of weird, but okay, whatever. So they end up going to the reunion and we meet a bunch of their old former classmates and everything like that. And for the most part, a lot of these people are very weird. And it got me thinking too, like about like people I went to high school with. And, but in regards to this movie, you see where a lot of people are, are either trying to hang on to their, high school glory days or they basically just kind of transition into the lives that they're leading now but for the most part most of the people that's at this they don't seem to be truly happy or whatnot some of them just seem to be just you know just floating through life and everything and it's kind of weird how that kind of works because i mean when you think about it yourself in regards to um you know, people you probably haven't seen in over 10 years or whatnot. Most people, when you see them, it's either, oh, wow, it's good to see that you're doing really good. Or it's like, what the hell happened to you? I don't think there's truly any middle ground in there. It's always either you're doing either really good or Jesus, what the hell happened to you? And there's a few people here that's like, Jesus, what the hell happened to you? Or or what the, it's like are you doing really well because there's even one part which i think is probably like one of the nicest scenes of the movie where where uh martin he runs into one of his former classmates and she's there with her baby and everything and they have a nice little moment and she has martin hold the baby and martin's like hey and he's looking he's no he doesn't say hey he just kind of looks and the baby's looking at him and it's almost like he's thinking about like this is what he would want in his life and then when debbie comes over you know she holds the baby and it's like that's the life that he wants and it's like that's what really has been kind of I guess bothering him for all these years too is that he missed out on the opportunity to have you know a normal life and everything and let's say it's a it's a nice little scene in the movie or whatnot um so they you know they dance for a while and everything they run into some other classmates that's when bob shows up uh michael cutler's character and he's just a complete lunatic or whatnot he apparently well not apparently because he basically says it that you know he uh, he asked debbie if she wants to do some blow and she's like no i'm good and martin's like hey hey bob remember me he's like i'm drawing a complete blank or whatnot so clearly they have some type of beef or whatnot that is never truly established or anything like that and martin even makes reference to it later on um so after they're kind of you're done dancing they're kind of vibing with each other and everything they decide to go explore in school and they ends up at the nurse's office or whatnot and then this is where they decide to you know have sex and everything and it's like really this is what we, this is what they do it not at not at debbie's house in a nice bed but instead in the nurse's office on probably the you know the, the um the medical bed that that's there or whatnot i'm pretty sure that little mattress thing is not very comfortable but that's what they decided to do it so after they're you know finishing there and everything Debbie's like, well, I'm going to go say goodbye to a couple of people. He's like, well, okay, cool. I'm going to go cruise by my old locker. And as they part ways, that's when Bob shows up again and him and Bob get into it. And Bob's like, well, no, uh, Martin's like, look, I don't know what your issue is, man, but it's not with me or whatnot. So what do you want to do here? And Bob, he kind of breaks down and, and we get like this one complete character 180 where he kind of breaks down and then he pulls out a poem and he started, he started mumbling through the, through the words or whatnot. And, Martin's like, oh, that's great, man. That's real great and everything. 
so it, I thought that was a, a little funny moment too. And then Martin, he ends up by his locker and he opens the locker and there's like an old joint that's in there and he's like reminiscing and everything. And then that's when Felix shows up again. They get into this this fight at the locker and in the process of this fight, Martin takes out a, a pen and jugs it right into his neck, you know, stabs him right in the neck and he, he kills him. And right at that moment, um, Debbie, she comes running around the corner and she sees him standing over this well hovering over this dead body and at this moment it's like that's what debbie realizes that he, he wasn't joking that he truly is a killer and everything so she takes off running and at this point paul he's coming up the steps he stops her it's like where's our boy where's our boy and so she's like let me go and she takes off running he goes up the stairs he sees martin and, and felix's dead body so they decide to basically pull down a banner and and they um wrap Felix's body up take him to the furnace and every time I saw it, I was like what the hell is a high school doing with a freaking furnace but then I got to thinking too like okay this is Detroit so it doesn't get cold there so it's not completely out of the ordinary for you know schools up north like that to have um furnaces and everything so they taste the body they they dump him basically dump him inside the furnace to get rid of him and everything and then they go back to the reunion and they look completely disheveled and like what the hell happened to them type of thing and martin he asked a couple of other guys like have they seen Devin? It's like nah man i think she left and and paul he's like martin what the hell is it that you do for a living and martin he just looks at him and then he walks away and it's pretty much the last time we see any of those characters or whatnot um so martin he ends up back at his hotel and everything and he's just trying to figure out what the hell happened how can he how did he screw this up with debbie and everything so while he's sitting there um there's a knock at the door it's debbie she shows up and they get into an argument and she's like i want to know about the dead people like like you really are a killer and everything she's like he kind of goes through his whole history with her like him joining the army and then he took a psych profile and and because he scored he scored so high on it is this is why he end up becoming he gets loaned out and becomes a contract killer and that's what he's been doing ever since she was like i just want to know about the dead people and everything like this and she gets real pissed and tells him like you don't get to have me you don't get to have this um moment of clarity like you're trying to change your life and everything and i'm not going to be a part of your sick you know fantasy and everything so she leaves and martin who had been avoiding opening the dossier on who he was sent there to kill he finally decides to open it up and when he opens it he is like son of a bitch and because we find out that it was mr newberry or bart newberry um is who he was sent there to kill so instead of him actually doing it he decides to save his life because he knows grocer is there to do the job too so he decides to get Bart and he warns, he tells him like, Bart, you've done some, some slimy shit in your life or whatnot. And he's like, but I'm not, I'm not going to kill you. He's like, usually when I show up at your front door, it's because you've done something for me to be there. He said, but I'm not going to kill you and everything. He said, because I love you, because I love your daughter too much. So he takes Bart back to the house and this is where, um, grocer and his goon squad show up and we get this like shootout at the house which is actually some pretty good scenes or whatnot um even though there's a few ones where it looks real hokey with 
Cusack shooting the guns and everything, especially there's a scene where he he's on the stairwell shooting the guns and the way he's shooting is almost like that's not realistic of how you would shoot a gun. Um, but for the most part, it's cool and everything. And then uh, the two FBI guys, they come busting in through the patio and Martin and Grocer, they end up gunning down the FBI guys and they turn the guns on each other, but they're both out. So they both, you know, duck back down. Martin realized that he doesn't have any ammunition left. And Grocer, he was like, uh, so you out? And he's like, yeah, you mind uh, spotting me? He's like, of course. And so he takes a clip and he throws it over the counter. But instead of throwing it to where Martin could get it, he tosses it, like, off to the other direction and everything. And and when Grocer is deciding to get up to, to turn the shoot, Martin is unplugging the TV that's on his side and he smashes the television over Gross's head flips over the counter himself he cuts his hand real bad and one thing that i've never understood well not understood but i always wondered like did john cusack like really slice his hand or anything because it didn't look like fake blood um when he first did it and everything and it made me wonder he can like really slice his hand with that tv or something um so after he kills Grocer, he goes upstairs and he basically confesses his love for Debbie and everything who who uh, had been hiding in the bathroom with her dad in the bathtub, no less. And after he basically confesses his love for Debbie, um, Bart, he's like, well, you got my blessing, which is always a funny line to me because of the fact that, you know, he basically saved this dude's life. And he's like, if you want to marry my daughter after saving my life like that. You have my blessing by all means. She doesn't even have a say in the matter. I will force her to marry you. Basically is what I always took from that. So that's pretty much like what happens. And, and the movie ends with, um, with, um, <clears throat> I'm sorry. The movie ends with Martin and, uh, Debbie leaving town together, which I found that, uh, it wasn't until now I really realized that it was a nice little bookend because at the beginning when he's driving into town, he comes in alone, but when he leaves, he leaves with Debbie and they're off to their better life, um, to some degree, which I always liked that and everything. And that's pretty much how the movie ends. Um, so of course I always do this on the episodes where I rate the movie and this movie, I always give a solid four out of five. Um, I just enjoy this movie a lot. And everything because it has a good balance of action comedy even some drama stuff like I say it's more i think the older i get when i watch this movie kind of understand some of the nuances you know especially dealing with certain things um as you get older i should say um if i had to pick a favorite character i'm going with martin because i related to his character the most um and everything and it's actually one of my favorite john cusack movies um and everything like that and the reason why I enjoy this movie so much is because I do have like a personal connection to the movie. Um, the reason why I relate to Martin's character so much, not of course from the whole, you know, contract killer thing or whatnot, but the whole thing with him and Debbie and, you know, past relationships and how you kind of screwed things up um, or whatnot. And the one that you feel that got away, um, it's kind of similar with, my affection for Chase and Amy. Ironically enough, both of these movies came out in 1997 um, and everything. But um, it's funny how, and I've always said that I was going to do an episode, not on movie talk or anything, but over on my other podcast with uh, my co-host Keita for the Keita and Jay show. Um, that for our Patreon listeners, that I would 
we would do an episode where we, because we do certain episodes of our Patreon where we talk about like personal um, things that's not, you know, wrestling, sports, or entertainment related at all. It's just us having conversation. I said that on one of those episodes that I would actually break down the whole thing of why Chase and Amy and Gross Point Blank, I should say, to some degree, um, are very personal to me. And the reason why I relate to them because of a certain relationship that I've had um, or whatnot. And that's why um, I... And that's kind of why I have that personal connection to this movie, especially as I've gotten older, because the relationship I'm referring to happened way after it happened earlier. But after this movie, of course, came out. But I relate a lot to the Martin Blank and the uh, Ben Affleck holding McNeil character from Chasing Amy a lot in regards to that relationship, I should say, because of how they are um, to some degree. Um, but that's, uh, pretty much it. Uh, I want to thank you guys for listening to the episode. Of course, you can always find me on Twitter at J movie talk on my personal account, the J Giles. Um, also on Instagram at GMT podcast, and you can find all the movie talk episodes on the TV zone podcast network, um, wherever you listen to your podcast and the whole site, of course, is podbean.com. And before I get out of here, I do want to give a couple of shout outs. Of course, uh, give a shout out to Jeff from Jeff versus the world. Um, Ryan and Martin from the black and blood rum podcast. Also, uh, Austin and Connor from the dweeb dive podcast, as well as JD from the Russell bread podcast, who was, she was a guest on, uh, the Keaton and J show episode two eleven here, um, which you can check out over on the Keaton and J show, um, podcast um and everything uh really had a good time on it i might have to get her on one of my movie episodes uh just have to see like what type of movie she's into and probably work something out in regards to that um so like i say uh hashtag pot and family we're always trying to support different podcasts of that nature um and everything like that so if, if you're a pod, if you're a fellow podcaster you listen to podcasts like I say in you support other podcasts like I say hashtag pot and family there's a lot of really good podcasts out there a lot of new podcasts that's coming along quite just like the dweeb dive podcast brand new podcast that i come along and listen to really been enjoying their um episodes right now they're in the process of um reviewing uh netflix netflix uh the witcher which i haven't watched yet um, and everything, but I do plan on listening to it because I can't listen to these episodes just yet that where they're talking about The Witcher because I haven't seen it um, and everything. But I did listen to the first couple of um, episodes where they talked about The Mandalorian, which was really good. And I know they're probably doing a really good uh, reviews for The Witcher as well. Um, so once again, thank you all for listening to this episode. Um, I actually like this recording a lot better. Not just because of the sound quality wise, but also, too, because I feel like I talked a little bit more about certain things that I kind of glossed over the first recording. So everything happens for a reason, I should say. Uh, So I didn't have a problem redoing this episode again. So thank you all for listening to this episode. And I will catch you guys next time on episode 148. Peace. (laughs)